choice but to totally destroy North Korea. This is something that always comes up, is whether it's Russia and, and especially China. Um, people say, okay, well, you know what? They don't really want to expand militarily and, and expand their territory because it's going to destroy their economic outlook. People are, are too vested in, in their, their financial interests to do that. And I say, well, you know what? Both, both Russia and China have historically had very strong ties to their, their national character, they've had very strong ties to what they feel is traditionally what is supposed to be China or what is supposed to be Russia. And that doesn't include the United States, that doesn't include any foreign entities. They don't care about the United States, they, they don't care about Western Europe, they don't care about Southeast Asia. Um, they care about uh, China obtaining what was traditionally theirs in Russia their rightful inheritance. Exactly. And yeah. I, I think there's a degree of strong degree of truth there. Yeah. I, I would also say that they do want global stability. Right, for sure. So yeah. they want a more multipolar world than a unipolar world. Right. I'll let Derek address Russia um and and their approach, uh particularly right now with their military. Right, right. Yeah. I mean Russia definitely sees itself as a as a great power. I think right. in the you know in the aftermath of the collapse of the Soviet Union, that was um, beyond just an economic and psychological shock. I think as um, as the years went by, that it was really a shock to kind of their security posture, especially you know the first decade. The United States could basically um, you know operate militarily in a lot of places and not really have to worry about. Um, you know, Russia, Russia pushing back against them. Right. And so you've really seen the, the Russia actually start pushing back against that and start pushing back against um, NATO expansion in particular. 2007, right. um, as Dan mentioned, they um, conducted a massive cyber attack in Estonia the following year right. um, was the war with Georgia. Um, and then more recently, they um, annexed Crimea and um, have also supported the separatist movement in eastern Ukraine. Right. Um, and so that's it's really uh, Russia carving out and regaining its its great power status as, as to whether they would. I mean, as Dan, Dan mentioned, they definitely do not want you know any major confrontation. Right. Even leave the you know the U.S. out of it. The U.S. wouldn't be left out of it. But you know, even even in a scenario where it's just them versus you know U European countries uh, that are members of NATO, you know, they definitely don't want that. Um, but they're looking for uh, definitely securing, you know, their strategic interest. Um, you mentioned, right. you know, kind of like the the uh, identity of Russia or kind of like the ideology of Russia. But I think that's definitely uh, subordinated to their strategic aims. And Crimea in right. particular was very, very um, strategic territory. And when they right. saw, you know, Ukraine start looking like it was going, I don't want to say permanently towards the European Union, but when it right. started edging towards that, uh, Russia realized that it, you know, it could run into a scenario where it would not be able to, say, renew its its uh, bases uh, that they were leasing right. on Crimea, so they, they acted there. As to, as to what strategic territory eastern Ukraine solves, I, 
you know, that that's a different story, but it does take yeah. a lot of the pressure off of Crimea because everybody pays attention to Eastern and Ukraine and not zone. so much. Yeah, exactly. Yes, exactly. Yeah. A buffer zone, just just it's like the United States yep. has done in the right. past. That That's a, a, a traditional uh, strategic It's why uh, military Russia wants Finland effort. neutral. It's yeah. why Russia wants Sweden not in NATO. Right. It's right. why Russia is angry over the Baltics being in yeah. NATO, why it clings to the Kaliningrad and arms it that it's oblast, it's external territory wedged right. into, uh, abu- it, it abuts Poland. Right. Um, and it's, it's why Russia is interested in not conflict with the EU or NATO, right. but disunity in right. the EU and NATO. It serves Russia's purpose to have... Right some elements within NATO or the EU complaining about trade sanctions against Russia. Hey, we trade very heavily. Um, Bulgaria, Slovakia, Hungary have traditionally been, had warmer ties with Russia. Right. Um, So if they can voice within a European Council or NATO meeting their disagreements with a unified what Russia would perceive as an anti-Russia policy, right? Then, as the, the more that's a victory for yeah, for Vladimir the, Putin. As the yeah. more the more unified the the EU gets, Russia realizes that odds are they're going to start focusing more externally. And where do they start looking? They might start looking east, and they might start looking, right. uh, you know, t- a lot towards Eastern Europe. And um, that's Russia realizes it's it's the target of that. So the more the EU is focused internally. The better for for Russia, which they are to a certain extent. I, I mean, even uh, Hungary, when when they're upgrading um, uh, some of their helicopters, they're okay. Who are we going to do it with? The United States? Or are we going to do it with Russia? And they're they're going back and forth. And you're right. sitting there, really, right? And Europe is in since the Crimean takeover. European countries have looked to accelerate the modernization that was very neglected. I, I mean, you right. had almost three full decades of slashing military budgets. Right. Uh, the first, and even to a degree, the second wave of these cuts, the 1990s into the early 2000s, made sense because they right. had large conscript militaries left over from the Cold War, yeah. whether on the NATO side or the old Warsaw Pact side. So... Clearly, you had no need for these large, mechanized, static forces. Right. And so there was waves of um, professionalization of militaries, trimming them. Yeah. And Europe lost capacity, uh, which it greatly is struggling to recover. Right. But on top of that, it just kept slashing the money. Right. And what happened with Eastern European nations, nations like the Czech Republic, Hungary, and um, Bulgaria was neglect. Right. And so they were left with lots of Russian legacy, Soviet legacy hardware. Right. That now they need to replace. Right. And while they continue to kick the can down the road on some modernization projects, do they replace them with American, NATO standard hardware? Right. And in the meantime, do they allow a capability gap to emerge while that aging legacy Soviet hardware remains in service? Right. So now they're scrambling to acquire 
in some cases, secondhand U.S. military articles. Yeah, I've seen that for sure. Um, and yeah. that's that's a big part of American foreign policy, whether under the European reassur- um, Reassurance Initiative or just right. as our EDA, um, Excess Defense Articles policy, to building right. friendly nations' capacity. Um, but there's still the, a lot of these countries like Hungary and Bulgaria and Romania, right. Slovakia, are still left with the question that, we, well, in the meantime, while we're trying to procure yeah. fighter jets, we have these MiGs, and we got to keep them flying. Yeah. Um, otherwise, we're asking NATO to do rotating policing actions over right. our airspace, and we're spreading NATO thinner and thinner. And also because taking taking away from your own military security for your own country. You're, right. you're delegating that out to right. NATO, and if you're not, it, that's also you, delegating that out to your European colleagues, and if you're not on the best of terms with them about this yeah. or that, the last right. thing you exactly want to be doing, though they are obviously allies, the last thing you really want to be doing, at least from appearances, is to be just delegating You don't out. want to seem right. to be a dependent and a taker in right. the alliance. Right. right. You want to be a, a contributor and a strong, stable ally. No, you have to be. Uh, if you're dependent on other people and, and you need to rely on yourself, um, you need to, your, your soldiers need to practice. Um, you, you need to have your maintenance personnel. They need to be in practice. Right. You need to be on top of your own military. If you're not, you're in trouble. Right. And what right. you've seen, particularly in Eastern Europe, is, is skeletal forces, again, right. uh, to use that terminology. These are, these are basically paramilitaries at this point, they, right. with the exception of Poland, which has done a very solid job of investing and, and making a point that it wants to sharpen the tip of its spear for combat reasons. Mm, the way their government's going, I don't know if that's a good thing. Maybe not, <laughs> but in the meantime, they, they're going to hold their own yeah. within NATO. And As they, historically, and they, will, they always have. And they will never <laughs> back down to, the, to Russia for historical oh. rationales. Oh, definitely not. So what you, you, you're dealing with is now we don't have capacity, we don't have capability, and even and very little logistical tail. Right. And so all this has to be rebuilt, modernized, uh, undertaken in a fashion that is you can crew and equip other nations equipment right. in time of conflict on external deployment. There's got to be an interoperability right. element there. And that's been something that NATO, particularly since 2001, has been striving towards. Right. And you see a lot of these European initiatives. Um, Emmanuel Macron, the president of France, has been trying to, uh, along with Angela Merkel, to right. jumpstart some of the... Um, revamped European defense initiatives, the European Defense Fund, permanent structured cooperation, um, uh, European intervention force. And as I've said before, these are all good things, and and they're coming at a... a, um, in a Euro- at a European angle that also complements and supplements NATO, but where European defense is concerned, a lot of times this is old wine and new bottles. Um, yeah, old wine and new bottles. It's just slapping a different label on it. Our 
aviation systems market intelligence services provide 10 or 15 year unit and value production forecasts. Services cover worldwide civil and military aircraft, both fixed and rotary wing. We also provide an outlook for the booming airborne retrofit and modernization market. Our services provide complete coverage of the major players and market trends, plus market segment analyses detailing the top programs in each segment. We also offer online database products detailing the worldwide inventories of commercial and military aircraft and engines. Even the United States, who is spending so much more money than Europe as a percentage of, of the GDP, it's... Um, the United States is is in a negative feedback loop with mm -hmm. all the money that it spends. Mm -hmm. It it still is in terms of the the aircraft readiness, especially um, they have not been maintaining F-18s. Um, they have not been maintaining all of their aircraft the way they should, and that's why you're seeing multi-billion-dollar retrofit programs and modernization programs because even with the money we're spending. It's not enough. Right. Maintenance yeah. and serviceability become questions. Yeah. As time. they do in every nation's military. Yeah. Um, well, especially in Europe, uh, Germany, United Kingdom, like in terms right. of their, especially aircraft readiness, yeah. they're, they're done. And, I mean, they and, need to spend so much more money to even right. just keep their there, current aircraft no, serviceable. There's no nation in Europe right now, especially right. among the the upper tier military nations in yeah. Europe that isn't suffering from some form of um, atrophy. Right. Whether it's France, which has many issues in, in readiness, and, and their military is on high operational tempo because they are conducting internal security. They're on high alert right. in Paris, in cities across France. Yeah. Um, that's notwithstanding deployments like Mali. Right. Uh, you, you saw the British in 2010 do their uh, strategic defense security review, right. and they chopped capabilities, yeah. um, which were reminiscent of the 1930s, um, you know, 10-year gap. We, we won't face – we don't foresee a conflict with a peer competitor for 10 years. Right. So we can take this window and reconstitute readiness when actuality it's a savings. By the end of the decade, I the think government. the UK's right, right. Air Force is going to be at the same levels when they started building their Air Force originally. Well, it's the the, the equipment being pursued, um, modern combat equipment, particularly fighters, is usually one we right. talk about. But the UK also has they're buying the P eight Poseidon, right. you know, reconstituting their maritime patrol aircraft capability. They're they're building two. Uh, 65,000 ton aircraft carriers. Hmm. They're, they, most importantly, they have their strategic uh, deterrent, their nuclear submarine Trident program. Does this, does this all parallel this new strategy of theirs, you know, breaking off the EU and becoming a, a global entity again? Well, they're going to, so? the last SDSR was 2015 and it's already dead. It was dead okay. upon Brexit. Right, because, yeah, because that was a year before before right. Brexit. So, so they haven't, are they formulating a new they policy? They are, or? and um, they're going to have to scramble because there's so <laughs> many questions with that. Um, uh, it, it, in an odd way, it opens a lot of possibilities for right. British foreign policy, but the, the the issue is with the British has been 
adequate funding and and you know bringing um, long term strategy into concert with funding realities. Right. And so um, I think the British U.S. relationship will grow even closer in the future. But right. in the meantime, the British won't have enough surface warships to support um, much external naval operations. Right. They, they, their government continues to impose the strategic deterrent, which is really a foreign policy tool. Yeah. It is a military tool, but it's, a, it's for foreign it's policy pri- Yeah, primarily uses, for foreign policy. They continue to thrust the cost of that onto the defense budget yeah. rather than funding it through the Treasury. So that weighs very heavily, will weigh extremely heavily in the years to come. Right. And we haven't even gotten to the F-35, which goes back to my point. One, when you cut capabilities, now you yeah. have to reconstitute them. And number two, modern hardware, particularly Western um, in the NATO lens, but, right. but even looking at Japan, Australia, India, is very expensive. And right. so you price yourself out of a military. Right. You, you, you end up with fewer. And there's much to be said about the digital age and, and capabilities, but yeah. you still can't put one ship in two places or one fighter in two places. It's right. just one ship or one fighter. Right. You've lost mass. You've lost capacity. You've lost the ability to um, tackle multiple scenarios head on. And therefore, you're scrambling more with your soft power right. to make up for the gap in hard power. Yeah. And you have to rebuild alliances, which is a, a lot of what we're seeing now in the Indo-Pacific with India, Japan, um, the U.S., and Australia. Right. Uh, they calling it the quadrilateral initiative. But I've seen a lot, uh, yeah, with the Australia especially, I've seen a lot of articles on that. Now, every time you do one of these things, what are you committing yourself to? The U.S. isn't, is not not going to go fight <laughs> to help India out on the Dakwam Plateau or, or the, in Kashmir. Right. You know, India's primary strategic concerns are Pakistan and Russia, uh, sorry, China, right. perched on either corner of its northern... Himalayas, right? So, it's good luck. Right, good luck you're for those Jaguars. They're the, not. They're not doing too much right, right. now. What are the combinations, <laughs> and how do you make them work? So yeah. these these kind of alliances, loose alliances or initiatives, which have yet to really manifest itself. India right. primarily likes a, a very go it alone foreign policy, right. but India. Um, they have yet to manifest themselves, is what I was saying, in a concrete term. Right. But at the same time, where Australia is increasing their defense spending, Japan is slowly upticking its defense spending, very limited, but it, at least their budget, their top-line budget is continuing to grow Right. in light of its modernization and capability requirements. India spends very poorly. It wastes a lot of its procurement budget, its procurement process is is a nightmare. That whole democracy thing is really really screwing <laughs> up their procurement process. Uh, I think <laughs> it, it's a, it's not a democracy; it's a bureaucracy <laughs> issue in <laughs> India. And so there's also such a focus in India on indigenization right. that they end up 
wasting money right. and time. And the longer that goes on, China's getting stronger. China's no, naval presence is now extended into the Indian Ocean, which is basically India's backyard. Traditionally, their Indian Navy sees that region as their domain. They have less issue with the U.S. Navy being in that area because the U.S. Navy is keeping the global commons right. open for business. Yeah. But China's a different ball of wax for the Indians. So yeah. it, New Delhi is viewing that with alarm. And right. they have between 100 and $200 billion worth of modernization projects. And they want to bring as much local content into that as possible. And that slows down the process because yeah. a lot of their um, in, industrial players aren't capable Right. How, how do you pronounce it? the Tejas? The um, the LCA light combat aircraft. Yeah, yeah they um, as, as what I've read so far is that that has been, I wouldn't say a disaster, but it definitely hasn't been as successful as they want it to be. No, and they have about nine different fighter types. Right, and uh, looking to add at least one or two more. Um, their serviceability and operational availability rates for their fighters are terrible. Uh, yeah. The Navy is scrambling to keep up with the, the naval buildup that China has. And China now is fast becoming a, a blue water Navy. Thing. Yeah, I've heard a lot about the naval buildup. Um, I'm, I'm hoping that it's, it's, uh, it's doing better than their... Their airborne buildup. Well, they finally have gotten their um, nuclear submarine. Their um, did, local. Did they the procure Arahant. that from? No, they, they buy built it from another country. Or they, 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 they built, built their own. They built their strategic nuclear subs are are home built. Really? I believe Do they work? With the the first one is is <laughs> wrapping up sea trials yeah. and about to be commissioned. And apparently the the Navy is happy with it. Okay, they have the Scorpines that they're um, yeah. that they're building along with naval, um, formerly DCNS, the French Naval um, Defense Industrial right. Prime. Uh, but overall, they're they are they're lagging, and right. their carriers they they have an old Russian carrier. They are well behind where they need to be right. and they're it's very slow moving although it, it is actually impressive I, I tend to bash you know like the the, the indian uh technology and, and whatnot but it, it for a short amount of time where they've been really building up their military and try to make things indigenous um it, it's uh it's actually pretty impressive how how far they've come well obviously the the capability is there the um knowledge um, capacity is there. Right. It, it's tying it all together, opening it up for competition, right. um, allowing foreign direct investment to uh, companies overseas don't want to make a lot of investment in India if they can't right. control what is theirs. Right. So um, there have been obstacles. The the government of Narendra Modi is has tried to knock down some of those, but India's um, make in India policy has been in place since the 1990s. Right. And they've, in terms of self um, content 
right. has not really grown that much yeah. in over 30 years. So they okay. have a ways to go, and, right. and they the 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 potential is certainly there. And if, if it's approached sensibly, it will get there because the the money committed, at least ostensibly, right. is going to be large. But again, it goes back to all the funding problems we've seen, whether in Canada, the U.S., Britain, France, India, Japan. It's nice to put these goals down on paper, but how many are you actually buying? I right. mean, look at the F-35 and what we're committed to in the United States. Right. Um, we were committed to two lines of fighters in the F-22 and the F-35, and now F-22 is done with, what, 122, somewhere in that neighborhood. And the production right. line's dead, gone, forgotten. Right. And at the time they cut that, they promised, uh, I forgot, it was like 1,500 F-35s, and that's that's not happening either. So, right. yeah. you know, um, so this is, this is the issue. You've seen it in Canada. You, you see it in Europe. Modern um, Western societies tend to overpromise and underdeliver right. because defense inflation ends up consuming more than they forecast. Please join us in part three of this series as we further discuss the dynamic international military markets. Mm-hmm.